0: I'm Steven. I'm an alcoholic. It's Good to be here. It's good to be sober. Thank you, Nathaniel. I didn't hear a word you said. Um, we'll see how this goes. I was sitting here and I couldn't stop thinking about how I was in rehab and uh, some girl there decided to break me out of rehab. And I don't know why. And she put me in the back of her little truck. It wasn't a little truck, she put me in the back of the truck and she threw me a CD case and had every CD ever. She's like, you pick the music. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm terrified of people. I have no idea how to interact with anyone in this world. And I'm sober, which makes it a thousand times worse. And I scrolled through and I found my favorite album of all time, still is. And I handed it to her. I said, could, 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 could you put this on? And she looked at it and she goes, Punkin Drublick? I love you. And she put that thing on. And I was in the back room. She likes me. She, like it wasn't a, sexual, it was a big sister thing. She likes me. And we went out clubbing all night, remember? I'm in rehab. They think we're at some meeting. And I'm like 20 days sober. And I'm in the nightclub give, getting it on. And the bouncer at the door is my was, I think my brother was bouncing the door, so we had to sneak in around the, anyway. It was, and it was the most fun I ever had. It was like the, one of the golden nuggets of my existence. I have my, the birth of my children, the, the, my wedding night, and then cruising down the street, listening to No Effects with, with Gracia in, in 1999 in her F-150. And I was like, she, like, like, she thinks I'm cool. It was a big deal for me. She also snuck me out of rehab and took me to this meeting. She took me to as a newcomer. I took a newcomer chip at this meeting. Um, I remember some of the, your little friends that I met that night too. Brandy was there and there's some other girls there. And uh, I don't remember anything about the meeting. But I remember I came here as a newcomer and the meeting's still here today. Um, I mean, the same podium at least. Um, all you know, I do, have a, I do have a sobriety date. It's June 11th of 1999. I have a sponsor, his name's Mark Hoffman. He lives out in Ukaipa. If you don't know where Ukaipa is, it's about 15 miles past any lengths. And we do drive out there to see him. And um, I don't have a sponsor by name only. I do have active conversations with him and he's still actively a part of my life. Um, some of you know my sponsor and you know that that is a miracle that I've managed to survive with him as long as I have, because he is not, he's super nice until you ask him that question. Will you be my sponsor? And then it's like, now he's got a job. We'll talk about that job in a little bit. Um, and I have a group of guys that uh, we go to lots of meetings together. We can call it a home group, but uh, we're a group of guys that uh, are a family, and we go to lots of meetings. I'm usually at my speaker meeting on Sunday nights. Um, so it's nice to be here. If you're over in Tustin, stop by my speaker meeting on a Sunday night. That's my plug. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, where to begin, man? Welcome to the newcomers. Congratulations on those who took chips. Um, AA is a good place to be. Um, if you're new, welcome. I don't care what your reason for being here is. I don't care what they say about me you being here for you. I, I don't buy any of that. There's no bad reason to try to give AA a good shot. There's no bad reason to try to align your life to something new. And AA uh, is a very weird place um there's no other place that so they i started coming around at Alcoholics anonymous pretty young and um it was the only place man at the end of it that will shake your hand at the door say welcome when you walk in it's the only place that when you leave tonight they're going to say things like keep coming back they will offer you a cup of coffee and i don't know what the smoking situation's like but somebody <laughs> will lend you somebody will give you a sip and I don't know about you, but before I got here, my only assumption is if you're new that 2022 has not been your year. Um, and when I got here, no one else was, was opening doors for me. No one was saying, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. No one was offering me anything. Every door was shut, any, any family members that would let them come over anymore. And certainly no one was saying, when I went to go leave, keep coming back. Don't come back, <laughs> right? Uh, the security is at the door. Don't come back. And uh, AA doesn't care about anything about what you've done, where you've been, how many times you've been new, how many times you, you, you're the retread, or you are the you screwed something up, or you 13th step way too many times. Hey, don't care about any of that. We're just glad you're here. Welcome. Come back. Take a seat no bad reason, no bad motivation to try to give AA a fair shot. And AA is, uh, upholds this thing about human dignity that I've never seen anyone do. Churches can't, they can't, do hospitals can't do it. No one else, but AA has managed all these years hold human dignity to, to such a high degree. It's been such a great place for me, um, even with time. Even with time, feeling like a loser and a failure, coming around AA meetings, sitting in the back, just not feeling like I belong anywhere, no one cares they're all just glad you're here. And like I heard many years ago when I was nearly sober, um, the speaker went up and says, I love every one of you just to the extent that I hope you don't drink and stay sober today if you're an alcoholic. I'm like, I can live with that. I feel uh, I don't speak for AA as a whole, but I think that's kind of pretty much where we stand. (laughs) So uh, I came around Alcoholics Anonymous um, pretty young. I got my first court card at uh, 14 years old um, and they sent me to AA. And I learned way back at 14 years old, AA is a punishment. If you drink too much and you have too much fun, this is where they send you. And you guys are all just under the, the, the heavy hand of, of uh, consequences for your behavior. I, I was raised right down the street from here. I'm from uh, San Clemente, uh, raised there my whole life. I, uh, Yes, I mean, we used to drive by the, uh, the San Clemente Club on Molino and we. Hang out the door, God, God, go, go, drunks, and flick cigarettes at them, um, because we thought they were funny, as we were drunk driving, we all around San Clemente, getting in lots of trouble. Um, so I uh, had my first real drunk. I'll talk about that. Other people come up here and they're like, "You guys all know what it's like to be drunk." I want to talk about the solution. It's like, wait a what? Why I want to hear your drunk love. I want to hear about what it's like out there for you. I don't know, but you guys, when I was new, the only thing I related to was when people talked about being good and drunk and screwing up a life. It's all I knew. I never had a job I didn't get fired from. I never, it was a high school dropout. I never did anything to succeed in anything in life. I come to AA and I want to hear about your solution. Kick rocks, man. What makes you, how are we not, the, we're the same. We're not the same. I don't know you. It's weird, the only thing, the the thing that connected me here into Alcoholics Anonymous was I heard a guy share his story and the guy had 30 days and he would never see 60. It was that Robert guy. In rehab, okay, and Robert shares his story. I've never heard anyone drink like me, party like me, drug like me and piss away a life like me. And that guy had 30 days and the miracle was I believed him. He never saw 60 days, but the idea was if, he can get 30 days. Maybe I can get 30 days. I hadn't seen four days. I don't know about you guys, but I, I don't, I'm not a teetotaler. I'm not a weekend warrior. I'm not a periodic. I drink and I drink as much as I can. I do like to add some, uh, some stuff, but I'm a boozer just like my old man at the end of it. So I uh, go to this party. I'm 15 years old. I have no idea how I got to the party. I'm a weird arrogant, reckless little prick way before I ever found drinking. And I sit in the back of the classroom and I draw cartoons of everyone. I'm still do. Um, I'm terrified of everybody. And uh, I'm, I desperately need you to like me. And I, I, I'm the guy that I mean, there's 100 people in the room and 99 of them like me and one of them doesn't I'm I, I crumble. I need you to like me and I can't even function and I don't do well in school and I know I'm kind of a loser and I don't really have friends and I end up at this party and I have no idea. I mean, I've analyzed this night <laughs> way too much. I and I don't know how I got there, but I know one thing, there were the cool kids were there and there were girls there and uh, and there were, the cool guys were over here and they were pass, and one of them, turns out to be my now brother-in-law. Um, and they were passing a bottle of vodka around. It's right in San Juan. It's a rich multi-million dollar house. Um, They're passing around a bottle of vodka. And I remember I walked over there, they called me over and they said, here, Steven, they passed me the handle. And, they, and I, okay, and I went to go put it up and I've drank before this. I've drinking beer, I've been doing, I've gotten arrested. I've gotten the, the, the court card before this, like this wasn't, but something happened this night. Maybe it's just vodka, I don't know. But we talked about how maybe there was a time before where we could have stopped. I don't know about anything of that, but maybe there was. I've been, like I said, but this night, this was it. And they passed me that bottle of vodka and I put it down, I put it up and I don't ever remember putting it down. And I remember their oohs and ah, what are you doing? Whoa, how do you do that? Because I could chug. Apparently, it's my hidden talent. It's my, it's my, it's my spiritual gift. Is chugging. I, I can open up the hatchet and pour. And, uh, needless to say, I was the first one drunk. I was the first one puking. They uh, took my long dark hair. Yeah, you remember. I, they took my long dark hair that I had because I used to. It was the '90s, man. We. We had grunge. I just wore my hair right in your face. and You wear a flannel and you don't talk to people. And uh, they bleached it. So it came out this orange color, um, which I ended up getting in trouble with my parents for. Um, They they took a torch. They took a spray paint can and a lighter because they're really um, geniuses. And they made a torch and they torched my feet um, while I was passed out in a room somewhere. And, I, I did some other stuff that night that at group level is probably not appropriate. <laughs> and uh, I woke up the next morning and I couldn't wait to do it again. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm gonna tell you, I'm not an alcoholic because of what alcohol does to me. If you drink as much as I do, you'll be a drunken pig too. But what it does for me, oh, it's something special. Because I was talking to that, those girls, I didn't care. I was cool. I didn't care about what was going on in my family. I didn't care about the nightmare of a family that I come from and the abuse, none of that matter. I didn't care about the fact that I knew I was never gonna graduate high school and I was a loser. I knew I was a loser before I ever started getting drunk. Like that's bad. I didn't care about uh, the fact I had no friends. I didn't care that, I didn't care about nothing man. I was cool. The first time ever, my insides matched what I believed your outsides were. And that's not unique to me. That's an AA thing, right? Like, my, like, I believed it. Like, this is it. I've arrived. I had a spiritual experience that night. And the consequences of that spiritual experience meant nothing. They're a small price to pay to be normal. And uh, some people say that after they had that first drunk and all that, they didn't immediately drink every day. and they But every opportunity they had, they took it. I was every everyday. I don't... Because I learned that night something that I I used to go to meetings, especially when I was new or something. But you don't understand. I love being drunk. That's not true at all. I don't love being drunk. I learned. (coughs) I hate being sober. I can't do this thing called sobriety. It's too hard. I can't do this thing where I walk through life like a weirdo. <clears throat> with no friends, not belonging anywhere, looking in the mirror, thinking the things I think about myself, which by the way, are not all bad. They're, they're extremes though. I'm better than everybody and I'm worse than everybody. And it's never right on the money. It's never anywhere near true. And I learned that night that I hate being sober and I never, and that was it. And I worked very hard to make sure that sobriety never came into my life. So when they send me to Alcoholics Anonymous so here's the funny thing so when people got together it didn't take long I dropped out of high school about a year later um, I, I walked around with 40s um, I got in a lot of trouble I, I did I, I tried that meth stuff once for a year and it didn't work out well was <laughs> that was, a, that was a hard that was a hard bottom that one um, but like I said, I'm a juicer just like my old man and I like to drink and I drink a lot of that stuff. Um, so anyway, I got a lot of trouble, man, and, uh, like, like we do, you know, but I had a lot of people around me. I had a good church family, I guess, I had a good regular family. They weren't good, but they cared enough, I guess, to do interventions on me, but I had people that would get around and they'd come to me and they'd be like, they'd say that thing, you know, that thing that they say to you when they're trying to be nice, but they're walking on eggshells because they don't know how you're going to respond. Hey, why don't you, uh, slow down a little bit there, son? You know, why don't you uh, stop drinking? And I know what they're saying, right? Hey, why don't you just stick to the booze? I used to have the other stuff. Or why don't you not drink that, that, that hard stuff? Why don't you, don't know, I'm 16 years old and we're having these conversations. And I know what they're really saying to me. And what they're really saying to me, if they haven't said it to you, I, well, I must all assume they have. And then what they're saying is stop drinking. No more, no more of that for you. And the problem is, what they don't understand is if they knew what alcohol did for me, they would never ask. Because the life of not drinking, the pain and the, the idea of having a life that eternally sucks, where I have to walk through life like some weirdo without any direction and I don't know what's going on. I don't want to be anything. What do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be nothing. And you want to, like, oh, I want to be a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher. I like kids. Like, what are you talking about? um like th- th- these people have goals and ambitions i think all their goals and ambitions are a waste of time i don't understand anything and uh i know that that's gonna be my life if i don't drink and that's what you're asking me my friends would do it their parents would do it my parents did it the doctor did it the lawyer that we got did it the like the, one of my teachers did it uh my, my my school principal walked me around the school one day to talk to me about my drinking trying to get me to stop drinking and they don't get it and if they got it what they would do is they give me a gift certificate to to the to the I guess they don't do gifts or tickets to the bar, but they just let me. They buy me a forty, they give me a forty of OE, and just let me be. Because you don't understand what you're asking, and that's the problem. That's my problem. When I mean, you know, all these doctors want to talk about alcoholics and all this stuff, it's like we're monkeys in a cage and they're poking, trying to figure out exactly. No, 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 no. I get it. If you're an alcoholic, I get you. The Problem is, what happens when I stop drinking? And after that little bout of that uh, uh, additional. Uh, amphetamine stuff uh, I hit dude that was a hard bottom bro I think that was the first time I just turned 17 or 18 I think I was just turned 17 and I said I'm never drinking a drugs again like that was bad there's a lot of court cases and it was yeah I hadn't yeah, I had to sleep for a while that was painful too and um, I made it four days I used to go to the mic am I four days I made it four days, but then I tried again and I made it a few more days. But every, every day I wasn't drinking. I got to my, my little broken down little truck and I would pull out old cigarette butts and I'd straighten them out smoke them like joints. I just want to get a head rush because I couldn't leave my house. I knew if I left my house, I'd get loaded. That's I'm a winner because I'm not drinking. You know we'd say that around here. A lot of people sitting in prison right now have no desire to not drink. And I don't think they're winners. I sat in that house not leaving the house because I knew what would happen if I did and I'd go smoke old little cigarette butts like joints just to get a head rush because I couldn't fathom not having some change in my head. I wasn't winning. The goal of Alcoholics Anonymous here, by the way, the entry level is you got to quit drinking. <laughs> but if you think quitting drinking is the, is the end all here, can't be, can't be. I, um, and so anyway, I, I, uh, a lot of bad things happen, you know, and I try lots of different things and I just can't stop. And I end up getting a bunch of, Warrants out for my arrest. And so I move out of the country for a while and uh, I just drink and I come back and nothing changes, man. And um, it's all bad. My dad and I decided to kick my mom and my, my brother out of the house so we can have a little dope house over here in Dana Point. And we have this little house and you wake up, and you don't know who's in the house, man. You wake up, sometimes you don't know who's your bed. Um, and uh, you have weird people doing weird drugs and you're just like, okay, that's our house. Want to buy something? Like, we have stuff to sell. Um, and, uh, eventually the, the, uh, the marshal started parking out in front of our house, because apparently they don't like that in Dana Point. And, uh, my dad bailed and I was in this house and I sat there and, we had all these, for some reason, everyone used my house for a bachelor party. It was really weird. And these people would come over and they had have these bachelor parties and they bring over so much booze and then I'd kick them all out. And all their booze would still be there. I stayed in that house for about three months and I just drank all of it. Handle after handle after handle. And I couldn't function. I, dude, I was a high school dropout. I got, I failed everything. I had a bunch of warrants out for my arrest. I was afraid to leave my house. The best thing was though, the McDonald's across the street off Crystal Lantern had 25 cent cheeseburgers on Monday or something and like 10 cent hamburgers on Wednesday. That's how I lived. I I hit people up for money. I walked over and said, hey, can I have some money for gas? My car broke down. They give me a buck or two and I go to McDonald's. I'd wait till Wednesday and I'd order bags full of these 25 cent cheeseburgers or these 10 cent hamburgers. Then I'd go back and I'd sit in that little place and I'd, I'd, I'd walk in circles. because there's no electricity at this point. There's no water, it was, it was a nice drink. And then I would shake and I'd drink. I'd look in the mirror and I'd be like, you're, you're keeping the shot down. You're doing this. And I'd take the shot and I'd be okay. And then, um, I don't know, man, I ended up at this, uh, the, so I got the warrant, the warrant, the, 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 the marshal put the notice on the wall, like you have to leave. So I left, because terrified of the police. And I'm homeless, so I'm sleeping on people's couches. And um, even the people that I'm sleeping on the couches are like, yeah, you can't stay here. Dude. Like, we don't want you here. Like, we don't want you having a seizure on our couch. And I ended up at randomly at this house, I can't even tell you where it was. It wasn't in the house, it was a condo, and I was on the balcony of this guy's house and we've been drinking since noon, like I always do, I'm homeless and I have a backpack and it's all I And I'm smoking a cigarette on the balcony of this guy's house. And it hit me out of the blue, like I had a real bad hangover the night before. And I said, I'm never drinking again. I'm drinking since then. And I went, wait a second, I'm drinking. And they're getting some stuff ready in the house. And I had a flash, man, and the flash was like, every time I said I'm never doing this again, every time I was in the back of a cop car, every time my family got together and did an intervention on me, which was ridiculous, every time um, I woke up on a, on a front lawn. <laughs> By the way, you ever you never, I've never come out of a blackout in a good position, I've never come out with a waiting lotto ticket in my pocket, it's always bad. I, oh, I'm so excited to find out what I did, I, you know, I don't want to know what I did, it's never good. And it all flashed back on me. It, it, it was like this. It was like the world got really still. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I was drunk from the neck down. I was too sober. I've mean, you know, And I didn't know what to do, and I got really scared. And I always was able to find something in the bottom of that bottle. There was always hope in the bottom of the bottle. No matter how bad it was, at least I could get drunk. And it could just go away, and I could be OK. It was gone. When people talk about not working anymore, I am assuming this is what they mean. When you go from the cool drunk to the fighting drunk, and now I'm the crying And I had nowhere else to go. You have no hope in the bottom of the bottle anymore. and No one else is taking your phone calls. You go up. And on June 10th of 1999, I looked up, and I looked up to a sky that I assumed there was a God behind clouds. And I said, God, please help period. There was no, and I'll, and I'll never drink again or, or and I'll quit smoking. I don't know why that was a thing. I thought God was, at if you quit smoking, you'll get that job, right? And it's like, God, I'll, I'll, God help me, period. No matter what it is, no matter how stupid it is, no matter what they tell me to do, I'll do it. No matter what, I'm done. I'm done. Now, I went back in that house and something happened. I became, God gave me something. He protected me and he gave me a little bit of grace and he gave me a little bit of willingness. And I walked back in that house and they hey, said, hey, they passed me something. And I looked over to the guy across from me and I said, hey, bro, can you, can you take me to my mom's? And he's like, he looked at me and he saw, he saw that I was broken. And he said, yeah. And we're driving over to my mom's. And I know that you know these interventions on me all the time. I know they wanted me to go back to detox. And I said, Hey, I think they're, I think I'm gonna end up in detox again. And I was hoping he would see like, no, bro, come sleep on my couch. Like, give me some hope, man. You're young, you're cool, right? He goes, Yeah, you probably you should probably get some help. <laughs> and uh, I ended up, I went to my mom's house, I knocked on the door, and she looked, she opened the door and saw me, and I'm drunk. She's like, you know, you are not to be here. And I said, I'll go to detox tomorrow, I promise. She goes, No, you won't, you're a liar. You can sleep on the floor of the kitchen but you better be out in the morning because she didn't know what happened she didn't know that god had done something that i couldn't do for myself and i had a willingness to do something and by the way the willingness i had to do something was not my own idea i was willing to do what mommy thought was best i have a theory i mean think about it when i stay sober i think people stay sober in rehab it's really it's lot easier because they take away your ability to think they tell you where to go, when to go, where to go, how to go, where to sit, when to pee, when to eat, when to go to the gym, when, I don't know what they do now, but they, they, they manage your life. You stay sober. You don't have to do any of the thinking. When I manage my, I mean, we're talking about unmanageability, when I manage my life, it, it's bad. If I do what my mom says, maybe I'll be okay. And I went and did what my mom says. That was the most sane thing a person can do. When you start to think, what would a sane person do? Maybe they'll do what mom says. By the way, that's not a, that's not a, a principle for life. I, uh, I went to my mom. She goes, go to detox. And I, so I went to detox. I ended up in detox the next day. I ended up in rehab in Laguna Beach because I'm from San Clemente. And Laguna Beach might as well be Maine for, for my people. Um, no one goes, like, we're San Clemente surfers. Like, we don't ever go to Laguna Beach. That's, like, sacrilegious. It's, like, rooting for the opposing team or something. I don't know. I just, you, no one, so I'm like, I can go to Laguna Beach. No one will find me. I ended up at a, at a detox center in Laguna Beach. And they threw me in this room downstairs with this guy who was yellow. And he wasn't a shade of yellow, he was yellow. Bright, shiny yellow. And I puked and I shook and I hurt and I had to wait for the doctor. And I knew if they knew the truth of how much I drank, they'd never let me in. And they did let me in, because I'm an idiot. I didn't realize I was in rehab and that's what they do. And, uh, and that guy hung out with me that night. And he said, man, kid, you got problems. And he's shiny and uh, ridiculous. And so they let me in. So I got into that rehab and I stayed there. Uh, I met some fun people. I met my friend Gracia there many, many years ago. And that was uh, summer of 99. And they took us to meetings. And they really took us to one meeting a week. And uh, we went to those meetings and uh, I stayed there for 60 days. I, I stayed there for 30 days. They let me stay for another 30 days. I did nowhere know where to go. No one's going to take me. I have all these warrants out for my arrest. I can't do anything and I stayed there for another 30 days. And when I left, I went to a meeting at How Hall in Huntington Beach. My grandparents said I could stay with them. And I went to a meeting, I picked up a 60 day chip and um, that was my beginning of my life in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I didn't get sober in rehab. I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. I dried out there and they kind of pointed me to AA. I started coming to Al- 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 Alcoholics Anonymous and um, I've been coming ever since. I haven't gone without a sponsor. I haven't gone off script. I haven't stopped going to meetings. I haven't done any of those. things. I've gone to lots of meetings. I've sat in. I, mean, I think Scott left. I sat in so many meetings with Scott, it's ridiculous. Um, and I love AA, man. I have nowhere else to go. I've never found anything better. And about and I, and I started doing AA. I got a panel at that rehab, and I started going down there every Monday. What's my time look like? What am I doing? Uh, you got 15 minutes. 15. Oh, go team. So I start going down. I take a panel to that rehab. Every Monday night, it's my panel, it's a men's panel. By the time, so I go to a little rat panel, cause I could just grab guys. I can go hang out there whenever I want. I lived down there, oh, they hated me. I'd come up there and I'd take my big book. And remember I have nothing, but I have a. And I'd go down there and be like, are you ready to get sober? And I, and I had this little beat up little 86 Honda Accord. And I'd throw them in the corner and I'd drive people to meetings. That's all I did. They'd say things to me when I was new. One of the benefits of coming to Alcoholics Anonymous, I went to some meetings and some people were like, oh, you know, I was 21. And some people were like, oh, you're so young. You get your whole life ahead of you. I'm like, how dare you? This is a punishment. I'm stuck here for life. All those people were old. I'm like, you only got a few more years left. I'm to do this for life. Life's oh, over. And they say, oh, Bob died and he's at the Big meeting in the sky. I got to do this when I'm dead? This is ridiculous, man. Like, you don't understand. This isn't somewhere I want to be. There's just nowhere else to go. It's just like steps are over there, right? Just like those steps. I don't want this. There's just no other plan. It's like the doctor's opinion. I want a second opinion. There's no other opinion. This is what you get. I was like the thing, they're like, oh, hey, Steve, sounds like you're doing BB really well. Like, oh, What's BB? Like, I don't know, but it ain't AA. Good luck with that. It's like, wait, there's no, nothing else here, right? And, and so I start coming around AA and I would just pick up guys and I take them to meetings. And then after like a year, they were like, hey man, just, and I ran through the steps over and over, steps, 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 working steps, going to meetings, taking my book, yelling at newcomers, sponsoring dozens of guys. No one loved AA more than me. No one goes to more meetings than me. No one can quote book more than me, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I got about. I just took three, I, at the time. I took three years of sobriety. I ended up in the car with this guy. We're driving to the nooner at uh, Long Beach, Marina Pacifica. And I'm in the back seat, and my buddy in the front and some old guy, I don't know. And the old guy wasn't old then, but he looked old to me that uh, back then. And yeah, the old guy in the front says, Hey, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good, living my best life. Woke up sober, AA for life. And the other guy, the other guy knew me enough to know that I was a bad day away from being institutionalized. He's, uh, he's, he's pulled me back from the ledge a few times of things that I might not have ever recovered from. And he looked over and he said, Hey, why don't you tell this guy the truth? This guy's different. I'm like, Oh, you wanna know the truth? I hate my life. Contemplate suicide all the time. I'm, I'm a kind of a terrible person. Um, I have no joy, and I, I go, my life sucks, dude. And I go, I, I don't know what to do. And I used to go around to the gurus and be like, Hey, man, they'd say, if you're in your first three days, old, you're in your last thirty days. Come talk to me. I'd go talk to them, and they'd be like, I don't know, bro. You maybe you just need more God. It's like, what? Okay, more God. You know, a degree in theology. More guys, but I, let's do that. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. And um, I sat in the back. And I told him that, and he said, uh, "Wow, you got anything going on? You got cancer? You dying?" I go, "No, but I wish I had cancer. These people would be nicer to me. I could sit in the back of the room, and people would be like, oh, 'Oh, you're going to complain about your life.' Steven's got cancer. He's not complaining. Why don't you go ask him how to live life?" Ah, oh, that would be nice. He'll be so nice to me, and then people, would, whatever, I'm insane. Not touch with reality. And uh, he goes, "Let me tell you about my life." I right, said, so I have nothing going on. I got no problems, nothing wrong. I got a job. I got money. I got whatever you can ask for I have. I live a good life. Three years sober. Go to, and he goes, well, uh, let me talk about my life. Because my, uh, my wife last week decided she doesn't love me and she packed her bags and <coughs> left. Because I found my 13-year-old daughter is smoking dough. <laughs> because I need back surgery and I can't afford it. I lost my job and I don't know how I'm going to, I can't get a job working at Home Depot because of my back problem. So I don't know how I'm going to pay for my condo. He goes, and I'm having an okay day. What's your problem? I said, I don't know. He said, maybe you're just an alcoholic. I went, no, he asked me, goes, are you an alcoholic? I go, how dare you? Yes, I'm an alcoholic. How dare, I'm three years sober. And he goes, uh, what's that mean? What's alcoholism? I said, oh, dude. Certificate in drug and alcohol studies, like a <laughs> Theology degree. When I start drinking, I can't stop. And he goes, Oh, so you're not sober? I said, No, I got three years. He goes, Oh, so you're not an alcoholic, bro. Have a nice day. We'll drop you off at the liquor store. I went, No, no, no. He goes, Because if you can't stop and you're stopped three years, and that your definition is you're an alcoholic. You the you can't stop drinking, you stopped. I go, no, no, no! no, I have a spiritual malady, followed by an obsession. He goes, "What's that mean?" And I, I don't know. And he goes, "Listen, you ever worked the steps? You ever gone through the?" I'm, I said, "Yeah." He goes, "What are you applying the principles of AA to? What are you applying the steps to?" You don't know what alcoholism. You don't even know what's wrong with you, and you're sitting around AA doing all this stuff, running around as if you had a drinking problem. You're three years sober, wanting to kill yourself. You ain't got no drinking problem, kid. Maybe it's time to learn what's wrong with you. And I said those terrible words. That was the nicest he was ever to me, by the way. I said, will you sponsor me? <laughs> and then it all turned south. And he did. And he got to teach me what's wrong with me. He's been teaching me for the last 20 years. He's been teaching me what's wrong with me. We he got to teach me about the true nature of my disease. And the true nature of my disease has very little to do with what's found in the Bible. You have to have it in the bottle. If you're not, you don't drink. You got a problem. But it's what I do and how I think when I'm not drinking. The things that go through my head are so out of touch with reality. And I love people coming in and they're like, "Oh, I got to the second step." And then we talked about the insanity. What second? What? You want to know about sanity? That's all first step stuff. If I'm an alcoholic and I come to a meeting of alcoholics anonymous, I'm admitting one basic truth that I'm out of touch with reality. I don't come to AA meetings. I still go to lots of. I still go to three or four meetings a week. By the way, I've always gone to lots of meetings. It's not because you need me. AA doesn't need me. I can get drunk today. Oh, we'll get out and fine. I'm not Atlas carrying AA on my show. I come to meetings to give back. Get out of here with that. I'm an alcoholic. I need AA. 23 years sober. I need to come here and I need to hear you. I need this. Why? Because my alcoholism hasn't gotten anywhere. I'm not, I mean, I watch guys go in and out, and it's funny, they come in and out. It's not funny. It's sad. You come in and out and you say, hey, man, what happened? They said, Oh, I didn't get the spiritual aspect of it. Really? Oh, I didn't work that four step right. Really? What I found is when you really break it down, everyone that ever goes out and comes back, all well, has one thing in common. Not even goes, it comes back, just like me. They had a good idea. That's it. I said, hey, man, when, when did you first get drunk? And they said, well, I went by the liquor store. Who told you to go to the liquor store? No one. Did you call your sponsor? What did your sponsor say about that? Nothing. So you're telling me at three years sober, as sober as you'll ever be, you'll never be more physically sober than that. You had a good idea to go to the bar and go try to hit on some chicks. Or you had an idea to go to the liquor store because this time might be different with your history. Like whatever it is, it's out of touch with reality. And there's this bad idea that I used to have that my insanity only had to do with alcohol. And my sponsor had to begin to teach me my disease has wants to get me alone and then wants to kill me. And it only has my thinking to do it. And it tells me things that aren't in of the reality. It tells me things like, I don't need this meeting. I've been sober a while. I got better things to do. I got three kids at home. I got a wife. They want me there. I don't have time to go to a meeting on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night. Sponsees take up time. I don't got time for time. I don't got time for them. I got things to do. Whatever it is, is it geared to get me away from you? I certainly don't want to call that sponsor and tell them the truth. <sighs> tell them what I'm thinking, feeling, and planning and let him have a say in it, let him have the final say in it, heaven forbid, and the only reason, and I believe this is first step stuff, and I'm just getting on this first step, because I really believe that when I work a first step in my life, when I practice the principle, which I believe is acceptance, I live differently. Certain things that used to be an issue are no longer an issue. I go to meetings. It's not an issue. I know why I go to meetings. I call my sponsor on a regular basis and tell him what I'm thinking, planning, and doing, what's really going on in my life, regardless of what I think he might say. By the way, he never says what I think he's gonna say. Never, I guess rare. That guy, I mean, come on, man, be predictable. I do it because I really believe I'm an alcoholic. I really believe that given enough time, I will drink again. The fact I'm sober today shouldn't even be a reality in my life. It's only a reality because alcoholics anonymous works. I believe that the spiritual malady of alcoholism, which most people never talk about, is disconnectedness. I believe I'm disconnected from you. I believe I'm disconnected from myself. I believe I'm disconnected from God when I get here. And I need to get connected quick. And we start by connecting with people. We start by being honest with people. We start by sharing truths with people. And there's a connection. There's an identification that happens. And I don't care how much I hate going to a meeting, by the way. I've never been guy the guys. Are, meeting today, I hate it. But I go anyway, and it takes about 15 or 20 minutes after hearing some newcomer weirdos share. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they know, they get it, they get what it's like. And all of a sudden something happens in my soul or whatever you want to say, and I belong. I'm normalized, and I'm a part of something bigger than myself, and I begin to connect with you. and. Down the road, because I connect with you and I do a bunch of stuff I don't want to do for people who I don't want to do it for, which is called selflessness and and it's being, it's service. I begin to connect with God. And then way down the road, I begin to connect with myself, which is the worst thing ever. I don't like me. I'm terrified of me. Heaven forbid I have to be me. I want to be anybody but me. And the goal and the joy that I found in Alcoholics Anonymous is that I get to be myself today. To pretend to be anything, the guys that here know me, I mean, I don't change from place to place, and I put on a face here. I go to work, this is the guy, I go home, this is the guy. My kids can follow me around 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I do nothing that I'm ashamed of. They have no idea what happens when I put booze in my system. And by the way, when I have about five years, the reason why I don't go to my mom for sponsorship, she's like, Have you gone to enough meetings? Isn't it time you put family first? Yeah, mom will kill me. No one loves me like mom. To kill me. That's why I don't go to mom for sponsorship. I come to my sponsor, that one sponsor, that one job. You guys, we can all go to the same meeting. We all read the same book. We all do the same stupid stuff, but we can't all have the same sponsor. My sponsor has done a job in my life by constantly redirecting me back to the truth. And the truth is I'm out of touch with reality. I think things that aren't true. And my disease wants to kill me. It doesn't, doesn't love anything. My disease doesn't love my kids. My disease doesn't love my wife. My disease wants to burn it all to the ground. And it only has one thing to use, my good ideas. So like I said, all the newcomers that come back, or what would have happened if you would have called your sponsor, and said, hey, I'm thinking about going to the bar or try to hit on some drunk chicks. What do you think he was saying? To not to? I'm not going to the, hanging out with my old buddies. They do a lot of drugs and they drink a lot. And you would called your sponsor and said that. What do you think he would said? To not to. But they would have been telling you a truth. And the truth is your good ideas are what got you here. This is what got me here. And I really believe to the core of my being that my good ideas are going to be drunk. So I come to Lost Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. I don't fight the uh, the process. And because of that, and I didn't talk about my good life or anything like that. I have a good life. I make some little bit of money. I got a little place I live. I got some kids. I got a wife that loves me. I have um, beautiful kids. It's pretty crazy. But none of those things are a goal of Alcoholics Anonymous because there's drunks out there getting married. And there's drunks out there getting college degrees. And there's drunks out there traveling the world. There's drunks out there who are making way more money than any of us. I can't believe a goal of Alcoholics Anonymous could be to get something that a drunk can get. A drunk can't get. That Alcoholics Anonymous has given me is a freedom, freedom to breathe. Freedom to be okay with myself. And freedom to um, freedom to let you guys know who I am. I'm going to end with this. Um, if you don't know, this is the 12 and 12. And there's a forward, and the forward of the 12 and 12 and the third paragraph says this. <sighs> AA's 12 steps are a group of principles. Spiritual in their nature, if when practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole, not lacking anything, not needing anything outside itself. And uh, AA has done that for me. So thanks for letting me share.